0: In today's world it's common to see or hear people say and do things that would regard Jesus as though he's insufficient it's as if the message of Jesus is just not enough for them whether they understand that that's what they are doing or saying you know consciously or if it's become just subconscious because they've adopted the ways and methods of the world regardless things are being added to the message of Jesus and it's become very common We see new age techniques added to the gospel. You see this little excerpt up here of Hillsong. You know, they've perfected the use of marketing and music to create an emotional experience so that the participants don't even realize that what they're accepting, what they're buying into, is not Jesus alone. They're being affected by these additions in so much so that they're not following Jesus as we would from the scriptures. We see teachings like coexist that declare that there are many spiritual paths that lead to God. We see worship services that are being turned into financial seminars and proponents of the health and wealth gospel, things that we must do to show our faith so that God will do things back for us, turning it back on us, and consequently a lot of the music and the marketing, it comes back to us. We become the object of, of the worship and of the service and of what we're doing. So it's no longer about us being servants, but what can the church, what can religion, what can all these things do for me? Right? We even see uh, among the competition among different denominations to acquire numbers and youth trying to do very fleshly things. And you'll hear kids, or at least I do, being at school all the time, come with me to Wednesday night It's so much fun, right? Or even getting specific, saying, it's more fun here than there, and we do this and we do that, and Jesus is nowhere in sight. He is far from their hearts. And this has become very common. And so what people are saying by doing all these things is that Jesus is not sufficient. That we need all of these things in order to be complete. In order to have faith and for our faith to endure. And that's why there's much value if we'll come to Colossians chapter 1. Because this is not a new problem. The problem looked a little bit different, but it's not a new problem. And Paul was dealing with this very problem with the Christians at Colossae. He wanted them. He needed them to understand that Jesus is supreme and he is sufficient for life. You don't need the additions. You don't need the additions. And so coming into the letter, first couple of verses, we see Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So we see here in the first couple best verses that the letter is from Paul who was an apostle directly commissioned by Christ Jesus and the letter is also sent from Timothy who is Paul's traveling companion and preacher of the gospel. Paul is writing to a holy and faithful people of God in the city of Colossae. Now recognize saints are not dead people Right? voted on to be a part of a sainthood and recognized by some religious organization. A saint is any person that is in Christ, holy and faithful to God. Now, if you're not faithful, you're not a saint. You're not set apart. You're not holy. A saint is someone who is in Christ, holy and faithful to God, and therefore set apart from the world. You're not like the world. You're different from the world. You're set apart. And so, of course, to be in this type of relationship, this covenantal relationship with God, and so that we can be set apart and be like Jesus, we have to accomplish this, as we talked about earlier, by the blood of Jesus. And we can access his blood through baptism. We learn in the New Testament that when we come to God through baptism, we're simply reenacting Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So when we go down into the water, we die to our old self. We die to our sins. And when we're raised from the watery grave, we are raised to walk in newness of life. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we, too, are in Christ, holy and faithful to God. And we continue in that manner. And so we have that covenantal relationship with God, dead to sin, and now alive in Christ. Now as we come to verse 3 and following, we see that it says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul begins the letter by praising these Christians because he has heard of their faith and their love. Paul thanks God for that these Christians truly trust in the Lord and that they put their whole weight of their lives on Jesus. So they're exhibiting what James would say is a saving faith. Remember in James chapter 2, he said, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Paul is commending them to the Lord and thanking, them, or thanking the Lord for them and praising them because they have a saving faith. Now as we consider what he's talking about as far as them showing their love, we see that that is a demonstration of a holy people. People that are holy and faithful will demonstrate their love in this manner. So the act of love that we see here is a sign of genuine faith that these Christians possess. Our faith in Christ is shown by the way that we treat others. Our faith in Christ is revealed in doing good works and good things and seeking the best interest of others. When we do that, we are demonstrating that we have a saving faith, a genuine faith. Now, when we consider verses four, verse four and five, we should recognize a relationship. The faith and the love are because of what we read in verse five. So, see, hope is the reason for their faith and their love. Paul declares that they have this type of faith, it's genuine saving faith and this love that affects the way that they treat one another because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. So it might, like, human tendency, might think it's just the opposite. That because we have faith, that we would have great hope. But that's not what Paul writes. And that's not the order of things. Notice that he is saying explicitly our hope in heaven is the basis for our faith and the basis for us loving others it's the basis for our faith and the basis for the way that we treat others our hope that's reserved for us in heaven so we got to consider you know if we're struggling in our faith right what could be the reason of this well perhaps it's because we've either lost our hope of heaven or We've taken our mind away from our hope in heaven. And therefore, if it's not in our mind and our heart, consequently, it's lost, it's not with us. And then our faith diminishes, our faith becomes weak, and we're no longer treating others with love. And the issue comes back to the foundation. We no longer have a spiritual perspective. We're no longer putting our mind and heart on the hope that God has reserved for us in heaven. And so that's where we have to come. Consider, we love one another and sacrifice for others. Why? We put the interest of others ahead of ourselves. Why? We devote ourselves to God. Why? Because of the hope reserved for us in heaven. that's what Paul is teaching these Christians at Colossae. And remember, they're dealing with issues that are very common today. So if we are hopeless, if we're struggling in our faith, if we're struggling in the way that we treat others, we've got to come back to the basis for those things. Our hope that has been laid up for us in heaven, and we've got to put on our spiritual perspective. Now, notice what Peter writes. This is 1 Peter in the last time it's there listen to it imperishable undefiled unfaded God has done it it's there for us so how foolish it would be for us to put our hope into temporary things the world is temporary obviously but hopefully more obviously we are temporary there's gonna come a time and we are going to die we will die at some point so perhaps we desire a long life and perhaps we'll have it. Perhaps there will be many days, many years from now that we die. But there's going to come a time that we die. Well, and then what? Well, if we have a hope that's reserved for us in heaven, then we have a reason for faith. We have a reason to love one another. We have a reason for living. For striving in this life. We have a reason. We have a reason for pressing on this world and dealing with all the adversity and the struggles and the trials. We have a reason. Because we have a hope that's laid up for us in heaven. And it says it's imperishable, it's undefiled and unfading, kept for us. And that's the basis for our faith. And that's the basis for our love. But what do we do if we're hopeless? I mean, thinking practically, what if we do not have that hope that is reserved for us in heaven? How can we receive that hope? Well, Paul tells them, look, beyond verse 5, it says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. He tells them the hope comes from the message that we receive, the gospel message. So if we're losing grasp of our hope, we've got to go back to the gospel. Now I know, filling your gospel tanks up, that's not usually the answer that we're grasping for. We want something that's easier. We're accustomed to the ways of the world and the world has become very good at making things enjoyable to the flesh, making things maybe a little bit more fun and pleasurable. So in thinking about filling up our tanks with God's Word, if we're in the flesh, it's not desirable. But we've got to walk by the Spirit. We've got to put on our spiritual eyes. We've got to have a spiritual perspective. So think about it. What do we do? Obviously, we might want a different answer, but what we need is the Word of God. That's what's going to strengthen us in our hope, and the hope is the basis for the faith and the love. It's our reason in this life. Well, just some practical things. First, I hope that we value the simplicity and the wisdom in which God gives us in terms of this basis for faith, love, and salvation. That is wisdom. Sometimes we look into the ways of the world and at first glance, it seems good. But anybody who's tasted of it for long enough Anybody who's walked the path long enough knows that it is empty. It does not satisfy and it will leave you broken. Trust in the simplicity and the wisdom of God. Don't live according to the flesh. It will disappoint you and it leads unto destruction. Trust in the wisdom of God. So what do you do if you're hopeless and you don't desire the word of God? Well, come back. Pray for the desire you'll be amazed. Now you can't just pray and sit back, but start there, pray for the desire. Tell God, help me, I want to love the word of God. I want to delight in the word of God. I want you to make it to where I wanna consume it. Morning, day and night, pray relentlessly. Not because it's good to the flesh, but because you understand that by his wisdom, it's what's best for not just me, but the people around me too. Pray for it. Then, create a plan. A plan for how you're going to go into the Word of God and allow it to strengthen you. Not too long ago, I made some connections and I bettered my plan. And it has bore much fruit. There's a a young man that's Down syndrome and he's got this 1% better plan and he's out there showing the world that his... Inabilities are not going to keep him from doing great things. He's done an Ironman. He's got a a great platform. He goes out and speaks and has a wonderful message. And I got to thinking one day, thinking about his 1% better plan, because I've seen him it. I mean, when he was preparing for Ironman, there were just little things that would be so easy for us. I'm an Ironman, so I've experienced it all. I was able to relate to it on a very deep level. But one of those things is those triathlon bikes, the seat's really high. You've got to create that geometry or that angle with the legs. Otherwise, you're going to tear the quads up. And after all those hundreds of miles, whether you're swimming, biking, or running, it's going to make it hard to finish that thing. So you've got to get the seat up. Well, that's difficult for him. Riding a bike is difficult, but getting the seat high makes it even harder to balance and continue to balance. So what he did was he started all the way down. And then for 30 minutes a day, he would practice at that height. And then when he mastered that, whether it took a day, two days, a week, he would raise it up just a quarter of an inch. And the next day, he would practice and practice and practice until he mastered that height. And he did that for week in and week out, month in and month out, till he got the seat to where he needed to be that was optimal for his geometry. Now, that's dedication. That's 1% better every day. And I got to thinking, man if he will put that kind of, you know, focus and intention and work into something like that, imagine if I could take that concept spiritually and it just hit me about the Bible. I said, I wonder what 1% of the Bible is. And for me, and with this Bible, it's 15 pages. And so I just kind of played with that thought and then it all came together. So in the morning, it's six pages of the Old Testament history books and it's two pages of the gospel. And then later in the evening... It's three pages of the, wisdom, or the prophets, two pages of the wisdom, and two pages of the letters. All in all, that's 1% of God's Word. It's not much. But trying to devour 1% a day and having consistency has bore much fruit. That's my plan. It works for me. It gets me in the Word of God, and the connections are there, and I'm all throughout, and I love it. Find your plan. But we've got to get into the word and allow the word to strengthen us so we can have a spiritual perspective. So that as we walk in this life, we're not walking by the flesh. We're not being tossed to and fro by the schemes of Satan. We've got spiritual eyes. Our mind and our heart is engaged with our purpose in this life. We've got to be in the word of God. If all we do is come to this building on Sunday morning and get into Bible class and listen to a sermon, we're starving spiritually. There's no way we can be all that God would have us to be in terms of the gifts that he's given us. We've got to get in it with consistency. We've got to dig deep in it. We've got to read it. We've got to study it. That's what it's going to take. So you've got to have a plan. And then from that, you've got to plan the time. If you think you're just going to wing it, it's not going to happen, or the consistency won't be there, and then at some point, you'll be back to where you started, which is a weak faith, and you'll be stronger, And this basis for hope and all this, it'll be to the side. It won't be on your mind. It won't be on your heart. So inevitably, Satan is going to try to prevent you. So you got to think about the temptations and the distractions, and you got to remove it. And when you do that, you can work it. And like we said, if you work it, then you'll be able to have the mind and heart that you need in order to grow. And as we'll see back in the verses, to bear fruit. Because if we strengthen ourselves in the Word and we continue in the Word, and our hope is in place, and we have faith, and we have love, then we will bear much fruit. Come back to this verse with me. Look, from verse 5 we see that the basis for as far as establishing the hope was from the word of the truth, the gospel. But look at verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. The gospel is the power for fruit bearing. The message of the truth, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it bore fruit in these Christians and just as it bears fruit in us when we walk in the same manner that these Christians were walking and in which Paul was praising them and thanking God for what we're doing. But this is another tendency that we have to think about. And it's not necessarily bad in and of itself. We just can't allow ourselves to walk in and of this tendency alone, right? Because we we get good things in life. And like I said, these are not bad things, whether it's a new TV or something. And we're excited about the new TV. Hey, and you tell your friend about it. This new high-definition TV, it's so much better than the old one. Or maybe it's this new diet. Look, and you're feeling better, and that's good. There's nothing bad about this. And you want to share with your friends about this new, amazing diet. And so you do. You're excited, And whether it's a a restaurant or a movie that you saw, we all do this. We share these good things that we're experiencing and that we're excited. But too often, we don't proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's where we've got to do better. That's where we've got to pray for courage. And that's where we've got to step out there and perform acts of courage and start talking about Jesus more with those people around us and proclaiming the gospel. Because if we'll do it, it'll bear fruit. But if all we talk about are the TVs and the restaurants and the diets and so forth, then it's our fault that the gospel is not bearing fruit. Because the gospel is powerful. It's the power of the salvation. But we have to proclaim it. So we can't neglect Jesus in our lives. But if we're strengthening ourselves in the Word of God, Jesus will be in our minds and our hearts. And we will get better at this. And as we proclaim, as we talk about Jesus in our lives with others, and it becomes who we are, right? Once we get that identity established in ourselves, and we're no longer pulled to these different hats that we wear, we're no longer fooled by those hats and labels and identities but we truly see ourselves as identified in Christ, like we know who we are and where we're going, we know that hope is there and we're living for it, then we'll be bearing a lot of fruit right where we are. And it's not about how good we can speak or not speak or none of that stuff. We will be exactly who we are, who God has made us to be, And whatever sufficiency or insufficiency that we have in the different things that we do with our friends and family, we'll be able to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish because He's with us. He equips us. It's not about us. If we put our weakness into Him, we become strong. We become capable. But we have to learn to put it into Him, to learn to lean into Him. And through Him, we can do these things. We can bear this fruit. And that fruit Will go forth, just like Paul writes in these letters. It goes forth, right? And here's Paul praising them and thanking God for what these Christians at Colossae are doing, and we can do the same exact thing, right? Kingdom living right here on earth until it's our time for rest. And of course, that's our purpose here. So, coming into some final thoughts, and then we'll tie it back to the purpose of the whole letter that Paul wrote to these Christians. So the first thing is building up your hope, of course, to strengthen your faith. But remember, hope is not wishful thinking. We often, often talk about it or hear other people talk about hope in regard to wishful thinking. So it's no different if, you know, I said um, you know, I hope the educators get that pay raise, right? But that's hope that's spoken of in a way that's not reality. It's just wishful thinking. But that's not what we see in the scriptures. The hope is not based on any wishfulness or non-realities. It's based on the fact that God will fulfill His promises. We have a confident expectation and God has shown us that He is faithful. We have every reason to know that this will come to pass. It's not wishing. It's hope. And we have to see hope as we see it in God's Word. We have hope that is reserved for us in heaven. It's there. It is absolutely there. Secondly, love is the fruit of the hope. So as we talked about with God's message, the truth, the gospel, and how it has its way with us and how it compels us in the way that we treat others, we've got to stop with the tendency to be unloving to others. We probably need to be a little bit kinder, a little bit gentler with others. Being willing to put the interest of others in front of ourselves, and be willing to do things for others for their benefit alone, and demonstrate the same love that God has demonstrated for us. We've got to love one another. And thirdly, the gospel is the message of truth. What it says is true. What it says is right. We live in a pluralistic society where people want to say there's lots of rights and lots of ways. But there's not. There's only one way to God. And that is through Jesus Christ. So what's so great about Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one who brought us this hope. We wouldn't have this hope that's laid up for us in heaven if it weren't for Jesus. And Jesus didn't just die For me, he died for the whole world. Now, yes, it's extremely personal. And I can say with equal truth that he did die for me. But he died for the whole world so that we all can have this hope that's laid up for us. So remember when Paul wrote to these Christians at Colossae, he wanted to teach them about the greatness of Jesus. So I take you back to the Hebrew writer's words. This is chapter 3. He wrote this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by somebody. But the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Look, if you have ears to hear, right? but an uncircumcised heart if you've been living according to the ways of the world or just the ways of yourself, you've been living by your desires. That's been the focal point of your life. And now you decide, I want this hope. I'm ready to set my hope in the Lord. I want to walk according to His ways. I want to know true, completeness." I want to know true purpose that goes beyond the temporary. I'm ready to put myself into a spiritual perspective so that I can gain this treasure that is eternal. We know that we need to be people who know who we are and where we're going. But we cannot live with one foot in Jesus and one foot in the world. Jesus will not accept that, that will not work. So when we talk about making a commitment or wanting a hope we have to go all in we have to be willing to separate ourselves from the old self and the ways of the world the people that would say that we need these additions that the message of Jesus and that Jesus is insufficient we've got to be willing to put all that aside and go into the word of the truth the gospel go to Jesus and be willing to read and learn of Jesus to follow Jesus, to trust and obey Jesus regardless of life circumstances. Whether things are going good or whether you are struggling in the flesh and things are difficult, you've got to trust and obey Jesus. If you're ready to do that, if you're ready and willing to set your hope in Jesus, then know the journey begins in the water. You've got to take courage and be willing to come down here and walk down in the water with me so that you can die to your old self and be raised to walk in newness of life. That opportunity is here and now. If you want that hope, if you want to join with all of us in fellowship with God, to be able to partake and commune with God, to eat and drink with God regularly, and one day be in heaven where that hope is waiting for us, then please come as we stand and sing.